Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm Sean Donnan, the FT's World News Editor. This week, for the first time in their country's long history, Egyptians have been going to the polls to vote freely in presidential elections. They're the culmination of a political transition that began with the overthrow last year of Hosni Mubarak. Whoever wins the election will face enormous challenges. Not only is it unclear what the president's powers will be, the economy is in tatters, and the military, which has been ruling the country for the past year, has yet to relinquish control. And many are suspicious that it wants to maintain its power and its privileges. Joining me on the line to discuss this are the FT's Cairo-based correspondents Heba Saleh and Borzu Daragahi, and here with me in the studio is Rula Halaf, the FT's Middle East editor. Heba, why don't we start with you? Is Egypt now a fully functioning democracy? We are certainly looking at an Egypt that is different from the one that we had 15 months ago. We're looking at an Egypt where people are expecting to be heard. But we are still looking at an Egypt where the army is influential, where the bureaucracy is large and unwieldy. So whatever new president is elected, he will have to deal with many of the elements which existed in the past, mainly the army, the bureaucracy, and of course, the economic situation, all of which together will make it difficult to transform the country quickly. Rula, you wrote this week in a, in a Global Insight for, column for us that actually we had seen the end of Mubarak's rule and now we're getting ready to see the end of the general's uh, rule quite possibly. How do you think that's going to work out over the months to come? I think it'll partly depend on who is the president and whether there is a president who's willing to negotiate with the army and to give the army more of what it's what it's looking for. Obviously, the president is not the only negotiator here. So if you had a president like Mercy, the Muslim Brotherhood president, who will think that he's empowered, he's got real, you know, political power behind him, then the negotiations will obviously be more difficult. And Morsi, uh, just to clarify, Morsi is the candidate of the, the candidate Muslim. of the Muslim Brotherhood. I think the army knows that this is the beginning of the end of the road. But I think that we can expect quite difficult negotiations because I think their starting position is not something that most Egyptians will be comfortable with. I think there's a, there is a compromise there that can be made. And I think that we'll see a lot of that playing out in the next few months. Now, Borzu, this week you headed out into rural Egypt and you were sort of taking the temperature out there. How does it all look from out there? Yeah, it's very hard to gauge. Uh, the electoral map is very fragmented uh, in terms of how people are voting. Uh, you have uh, people who voted Islamist in the uh, parliamentary elections who are swinging wildly the other way and voting for the secular uh, leader of uh, the ancien regime, uh, Ahmad Shafiq, in this presidential election. There are uh, less and less issues being discussed than waves of support for various personalities based a lot, I think, on um, uh, the influence of uh, television and local networks of people who are 
urging their neighbors to vote a certain way. And it's very, very hard to gauge how those votes are going to come about. The only conventional political structure in place is the uh, Freedom and Justice Party of the uh, Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and they have a campaign operation that we in the West would understand uh, in terms of uh, campaigners, monitors, people with different roles. Uh, and so they're sure to do you know, a, a certain solid percentage in the end. We are going to have this presidential election with us, presuming that it goes through a second round through the middle of June. But Egyptians don't yet know what sort of president they're voting for and exactly what sort of powers this president will have. Indeed, we do not have a constitution yet, and it has not been drafted. And the constitution will define the powers of the president and the powers of parliament. What many people suspect will happen now is that if the Muslim Brotherhood, which controls Parliament, gets its president in, if Mr. Morsi is elected, then they will be more relaxed about the kind of constitution which emerges, whether, whether the president has some powers or not. If somebody else gets in, it's more likely that they will try to push in the direction of more powers in Parliament. What I can say is that what most Egyptians would want is a president with less powers than Hosni Mubarak had. He had the powers of a pharaoh, that's how people describe it, and they do not want any more pharaohs. They want someone who is accountable and not somebody who appoints the heads of all agencies, who is all-powerful, who controls everything in the state. They want a better distribution of power between the institutions of state. This is also all taking place against a background of economic woes. And the, the economy shrank almost 1% last year. We've seen the foreign exchange reserves shrink to really almost alarming levels. Borzu and, and Heba have both been writing about how pocketbook issues are really driving a lot of people's thinking. Are there any signs of a turnaround, Heba? Well, the first quarter has been a bit of an improvement over last year, but the economy is nowhere near where it was before the revolution in January 2011. And what investors say is, until there is visibility on the policies of the next government, what kind of relations it will have with the president, is there going to be deadlock between parliament and the president, what kind of fiscal policy, tax laws, labor laws, until all these things become clearer, people will be still waiting on the sidelines. People want to come to Egypt because it is a very big market, but until it's clearer how things are going to go, they, they will hang back. It is the same for tourism. Tourism plummeted over the past year by about 30% in terms of tourist numbers, but also prices went down to attract tourists. So until Egypt radiates a sense of security and stability on the streets, until uh, there are no longer pictures on television of unrest in downtown Cairo, then tourism will continue to suffer. Borza, you spent a lot of time this week talking to voters in in the polling lines. Uh, how do the pocketbook issues register for them? I mean, they register. People are very concerned about the basic needs of their lives. Um, there is a lot of uh, worry about salaries and the, the fact that the salaries haven't kept up with cost of living in this country. This is one of the reasons for the popularity of the socialist candidate, Hamdin Sabahi, 
There are also worries about uh, lengthening fuel lines, uh, lack of uh, natural gas or cooking, uh, and I've heard a lot of complaints about the transport costs uh, as well as complaints about sewage and uh, other types of, of bad infrastructure, especially in the countryside. But it's really not clear how these concerns connect to any of the candidates, except for Sabahi. Most of the candidates' uh, economic platforms and economic plans are rather vague, full of platitudes, uh, without uh, really having concrete plans or how to rejuvenate the economy, or even specific visions, again, with the exception of Sabahi, as to what type of social economic uh, contract they would like to put in place. I mean, one of the things we've learned in the last 20 years or 30 years uh, since the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, has been the uh, uh, the fact that transitioning to democracy can be a messy process and that there is a point uh, when people hanker for the stability uh, of the past. Are we anywhere near seeing anything like that in Egypt, Roland? I think already in, you know, this, it's been 15 months and people have not seen any improvements in their lives. They can see that they're exercising their new rights. But in terms of concrete, tangible results, they haven't seen anything. And, and I think that does account for a certain loss of popularity of the Muslim Brotherhood, for instance, although it's not clear that they could have done anything since they don't control the government. So I think people are very impatient. And it's very difficult to make people understand that a transition is a very long-term process and that actually what is important today is for this process to be solidified. I mean, it's important who gets elected, but it's also important that the process proceeds in a very fair and free uh, manner. But this was always going to be the challenge in these revolutions is how do you then try to meet people's expectations because expectations are just simply too high. Heba? Yes, indeed. Expectations are very high. And part of the reason why so many people are disappointed with the Muslim Brotherhood is they say we've elected them and they've done nothing for us. So this is going to be a huge burden on the next president and the next government, indeed. I would imagine that over time, people will begin to realize that it's not easy. They've been living in a more or less closed system for 60 years. They did not believe what their leaders told them until now. I mean, when Hosni Mubarak, for instance, blamed population numbers in Egypt for poverty, or when they issued statistics saying that the economy is doing well, all this because there was this, this huge well of mistrust which prevented people from believing them. So one of the things that they will have to learn is believing the leaders they've elected, holding them accountable, and gradually tailoring their expectations to fit the facts, to fit what they know and believe to be happening. There is also this question of uh, clearly the Arab world is watching and there is also this question of what this will mean and what this transition will mean across the region. Borja, you spent a lot of time in the region, in Iraq. Uh, you've been looking at the Syria story for us, uh, uh, among others. What is your sense of how we're going to come out of this as a, uh, in terms of the progress for the Arab Spring? Well, I think that, first of all, what is... Egypt's influence uh, and the, the influence of this election in the Arab world right now 
is much less than some pundits say it is. And that Egypt has, to some extent, lost its leadership status in the Arab world. And that doesn't mean that people aren't watching, watching very closely uh, what's happening here, uh, especially with regard to the emergence of this new type of prototypical Muslim Democrat, so to speak, uh, that uh, is uh, emerging in uh, many of the North African countries uh, and taking on a leadership role. You see that in uh, Tunisia, um, you'll see it in Libya, uh, as well as uh, to some extent in Morocco, perhaps a little bit in Algeria, although that's a, quite an exception. Uh, but that is going to be what people here are going to be looking for, is does that model emerge here as well? What some would criticize as a kind of Qatar-backed uh, Muslim Brotherhood-ish uh, sort of uh, uh, leadership that is uh, rooted in the Muslim movements of the past, but pays a, a, a large amount of lip service and also uh, abides by the principles of pluralism and, uh, and tolerance. Really? Yeah, I think that um, people have been watching Egypt a lot because for them it's an example of what a transition gives. And in the past few months, what I've noticed a lot is that people have been very disillusioned. <laughs> If they're looking at Egypt from in other countries, they've had Syria in flames now for you know 15 months. And Egypt's transition, extremely chaotic. It goes one step forward, two steps back. And I think the moment when Egyptians go once again to the polls does give a measure of, of reassurance that actually there is progress in these transitions. And I think these are moments that are needed today because it's very dangerous when people begin to look at uh, the political uh, transitions and the political transformation in North Africa and lose faith in it. Rula Khalaf here in the studio in London. Thank you very much. Heba Saleh and Borzu Daragahi, thank you. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Heba Saleh and Borzu Daragahi in Cairo and Rula Halaf here in London. World Weekly is produced by Martin Staba and Katie Carney in the booth. I'm Sean Donnan. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.